Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. In this podcast, we'll be having discussions around the secrets which attract lasting, healthy, fulfilling relationships, creating a healthy mindset, and what women should know and understand about men. Introducing your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts, relationship expert, trainer, speaker, and best-selling author of the Cupid's Bow Technique. Lynn's mission is to have a positive impact in reducing divorce, domestic violence, and suicide. Welcome to the Hearts Entwined podcast. This is your host, Lynn Smith, the Queen of Hearts. And today, listeners, I've got a really lovely lady I've recently connected with. Her name is Sarah Jackson. She's a therapist who specializes in dynamic transformational release therapy. And we've had some really fascinating conversations off there. So I just thought, you know what, I really need to capture some of this on air and share it with the audience. So very warm welcome to you, Sarah. Hello, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. (laughs) So before we get stuck in, Sarah, I know that you're quite happy to share your own story. Um, um, But before we do that, I'd just like to tell the audience that we're going to be discussing, you know, maybe things that might be a bit triggering within this particular episode, because it does touch on, um, you know, some some quite sensitive material in that we will be discussing information around shame and humiliation and guilt from experience past trauma, uh, specifically relating to uh, thriving from any sort of sexual abuse. So for you, Sarah, would you just be uh, comfortable sharing your own story around what what happened to you? Yeah, of course. Of course, of course. So, yeah, uh, my life now doesn't resemble in in the least what it was like when I was growing up. Um, I was the daughter of two very respectable uh, adults who were teachers and well-respected members of the community. And I knew things at home were a little odd. Me and my brothers were very, very terrified of my stepfather and but that just sort of had become the norm. We were terrified of him. What really showed me what my light bulb moment was when I was, I think I was about 12 years old and I was sat in a biology lesson. You know, when uh, we were younger, you'd have biology lessons on those long benches that had like the girls on one bench and the boys on the other bench. And (laughs) I was so little, my feet were never anywhere near the floor on these stools we had to sit on. And yeah, it was, we were sat in this really old fashioned biology room and we were looking at these in a textbook. We were looking at these pictures of male and female anatomy and there was all the giggling going on and going on. You know, the boys were giggling, the girls were giggling. I wasn't giggling. I looked at this picture of the male genitalia and the female genitalia and the description of how you made babies. And I realized that was what my stepfather was doing to me. And it was like I had a a light bulb flashing on my head. And I, at that moment, realized there is, I, I can't tell anybody about this, this, and I felt physically sick and it, in that moment, in that moment, it felt like my world sort of all imploded around me that I wasn't like everybody else. I knew something was wrong and I wasn't like everybody else. And they're all laughing and giggling about this. And I just wanted to run away and I couldn't. So I swallowed everything, swallowed it and didn't speak of it at all. Went on with the lesson, shoved it all down and got on with my life. What had been happening was from when I was 
four years old, I believe. I don't remember, but putting the pieces back together, um, my stepfather started to groom me when I was four years old, when he first came into my mum's life. And it didn't finish until I was 18 years old and I ran away from home um, with the help of a, a wonderful woman who who really recognised what was going on and gave me the help I needed to leave. Because I, I don't know... Um, I don't know if any of your listeners, and I hope not, but I'm sure they will have, if any of your listeners have experienced sexual abuse, it isn't like you think it is. My my experience of it wasn't violent. It hurt, but it wasn't violent. And I was so screwy in my head because he'd got me believing that if I told anybody or left him, he'd die. And I was, but it was so entwined and messy and my mum hated me because he turned my my mum against me and turned us into rivals as mother and daughter. And it was a complete mess, a complete mess. And as I say, I, es- I escaped when I was 18, didn't tell anybody about it till I was about um, doing my nursing training till I was in my early 20s. And the way that I was able to share that that, that is what had happened because many of us don't tell too too much shame we don't tell you know there's we know it's our fault so we're not going to say anything about it uh was when uh in nursing we did child protection and I realized again I had a beacon on my head you know the the consultant who was doing the lecture said one in however I can't remember what the stats were at the time said well will have will have been fiddled with by somebody in the family I think were his words and uh so several of you in here it's happened to several of you in here. And I just wanted to die. You know, it's like, oh, awful. Oh, very insensitive man. And yeah, so that was that was when I went and got help. I got help because I uh, I, I developed bulimia, developed eating disorder where you, you binge and vomit, which since uh, I've recovered, I, I understand that that's something that a lot of people do. Again, a very, a thing that you're very ashamed of and you do in secret. So there's, yeah, shame has been a, a theme that's run through my my life associated with that trauma for many, many years. Well, thank you so much for being courageous and vulnerable enough to be able to share your story, because I'm sure it's going to help when we discuss, you know, how for me, you know, uh, my listeners probably know that my story is that I'm a rape survivor and that happened to me in my teens. And I didn't tell anybody, you know, I suppressed it until I was 42. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I know in those times, sort of, um, for me, it was sort of in the in the 70s, um, we were brought up as kids to be seen and not heard. And um, and it was just a very negative culture that that was allowed to thrive at the time, wasn't it? Absolutely. That was when Childline uh, first happened. I can remember hearing about Esther Ranson and Childline. Uh, we didn't have a television in our house for many, many years, but uh, to you know, sort of, I think must have been when I was about ten or eleven, round about that time that we got telly and and yeah, Esther Ransom's Childline, and I remember actually thinking about calling that a, a few times, but not being brave enough to call it. And what would I say anyway? Uh, but yeah, it, it it was kind of a very different culture. It was the Jimmy Savile years, wasn't it? Jim would Jim will fix it years in those years where we were seen and not heard exactly. And for those people outside of the UK, Jimmy Savile was a very famous DJ, an online TV presenter who was particularly, I suppose, aiming his programmes towards children and kids and quite often had them in the studio where 
it was later discovered that he was grooming children who he was interacting with through those years, wasn't it? And uh, you, through yeah, his yeah. Um, charitable supposed, um, you know, links to uh, Great Ormond Street Hospital, even people and children through that means as well. Yeah, yeah. Abs- unbelievable when you look back. And when you look back, when you look at Jimmy Savile, you're like, yeah. <laughs> when you look at him now, don't you think, how did we not realise what he was? He was, ooh, it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, all part how of the that, you know, not only yeah. um, being on a, a celebrity on a, a radio or TV programme, but, you know, through charitable yeah. means as well, you know, is 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 far beyond description, but still he got away with yeah. it. He um, did. So did a lot of people, didn't they, back then? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, a yeah. lot of it's coming out of the woodwork, in, uh, uh, certainly over the last few decades, isn't it? Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So for mm. you personally, Sarah, you know, I'm sure, you know, many people who have um, been through similar experiences that are probably listening to this podcast now will relate to probably experience a lot of shame, humiliation and guilt from going through those sorts of types of trauma. Um, and um, we need to sort of, I suppose, emphasise that you're not alone. And, you know, that mm. shame, humiliation and guilt is not yours either. Absolutely, it's not yours. But you are you're groomed <laughs> to believe that it is yours. And so many of the ladies that I work with um, say uh, they were terrified to, to say anything because they'd been told, well, who will believe you? Um, you'll, I was personally told you'll get sent away to boarding school if you, if you tell. You, um, no, you're, you're just a stupid little girl. Who's, who's going to believe you? Who's going to believe you? They're always going to believe me. And a lot of, I think... It's interesting because I don't think the it's it's more an implicit understanding as somebody who has been on the receiving end of sexual trauma that I don't know it, it, it you know that you're going to be judged as it being your fault just because you're a woman mm. just because you're a woman and it do, men don't actually they don't really have to say anything we just as women take on that blame. How many times do you like hear, well, she was wearing a skirt, short skirt, she was asking for it. It's, it's, it's unbelievable, isn't it? And to have that, uh, that is still in our culture today, that women have to act a certain way, be a certain way. Otherwise, obviously, it's their fault they're asking for it. Uh, I, I, I don't get that at all. And I, but I see a lot of the um, the other end of that for women who have been through you know what we have both been through in our different flavors, shall we say, that we carry that with us, and it prevents us from healing because the the way that sexual abuse of any sort thrives is in secrecy and silence, mm. and so by by tapping into by making sure we are ashamed about it, because let's face it there's still a lot of shame around sex with women yeah, to, to actually, you can't go out there and admit that either you want to, you, you know, you really love sex and, and, and you enjoy you know, experimenting or what you, you can't go out and say that a man can, but we can't, I'm not a feminist. Uh, you know, I, I'm not out there. A man basher, not in the least. I have a lovely husband who I adore and lovely brothers, but uh, you know, I do think there's this historical kind of, um, stereotypes about how women should be, how men should be. And there's all of this 
ancestry that we as women it comes through the comes through our line that mm. we take on that shame and we're we're ashamed of our sexuality and what my beautiful um mentor often says to me is shame is hiding the jewel and when you uh when you can remove that shame the the absolute jewel inside you can come out and it needed that um that very very strong container of shame that's very difficult to be released from because once you're out of that you really can shine you you are liberated when you release that shame and when you give back the responsibility to the the people who it belongs to and it's yeah, certainly belongs to definitely yeah, yeah absolutely um, we, i think it's the times are shifting you know um we've been and lived through a very patriarchal history so to speak where the male or the masculine energy has been more the dominant energy and women have had to sort of take second best uh, in mm. terms of lots of things whether it's you know that sexual oppression or uh, whether it's to do with equal opportunities and rights otherwise but I think it also is fair to say that it's it's not it's not about man shaming or like you say um you know, knowing that there aren't great men out there, because obviously the majority of men out there are great men uh, mm. and don't do this sort of behaviour. So um, it's not about, like you said, a very important point, man bashing in this instance. Yeah, yeah. I find that when I talk about what I do, uh, people get very uncomfortable, men get very uncomfortable when I'm this open and vulnerable about what happened. And it's usually because they don't know how to be. They don't know how to react to that because they're so ashamed that men can do that. You know, the, the good men, it's as abhorrent to them as to, to yeah. anybody or any woman. Yes. And I think the Me Too movement, you know, has, has got um, in, involved in a lot of man bashing type um, yeah. stuff, uh, which I, I don't actually buy into or, or agree with, you know, even though I'm um, a survivor of... Um, that sort of similar sexual abuse um I don't I don't subscribe to you know tarring all men with the same brush or or condoning that that you know men mm. uh generally yeah. are you know of this sort of negative behavior so I think it's quite no, sad that it's, it's almost turned and become the opposite extreme in some in some senses it has, yeah, and it is a shame because in my work, I just, you know, I've discovered and I was pretty horrified to discover that child sexual abuse, which is my area of expertise in many areas, it can also the perpetrators can also be women. Yes, many many girls are abused by their mothers, which uh, that was I was flawed when I heard that it was, and and I think that's how a lot of men feel. Say, like, oh my god, she's going to think I'm like. I'm like them. Yeah, exactly. And also, obviously, there's lots of boys that have been abused. And men. Indeed. Absolutely. Oh, many, many, many. Yeah. And the shame there equally as equally as horrific. And I think even I don't know, I'm maybe judging this, but I think it's probably even harder for a boy to tell that that's happened to him. There's even more stigma around that. I think we as women now are getting voices and there's a lot more support for us out there. I think still men who have been sexually abused, there's not a lot of support for them out there. And if there is anybody out there listening that does support men who have experienced 
childhood sexual abuse, please get in touch with me because I would love, I only work with women and I'd love to have somebody to be able to refer the men that, that reach out to me for help too. Oh, that's fantastic. So from a point of view of um, giving our audience some tips then about how to yeah. release or deal with any existing shame, humiliation or guilt from their past trauma, what would be your tips, Sarah? Yeah, well, how I would work is it's very difficult to just come out and say things because our body is receiving information from the outside world that it isn't safe to say. Otherwise, we'd say what had happened to us. We, we are feeling that something bad is going to happen to us if we say something about what happened to us. Be it at, because, And we are stopped from saying it because of the shame and the fear. Now, if in our bodies we can calm down our nervous system so that we do not feel as scared, because many, many of us who have experienced sexual assault, sexual trauma at any age, any sort of trauma at any age, have got very dysregulated central nervous systems. So when I, what I mean by a dysregulated central nervous system is that we are in that fight or flight response so much of the time, or we're in that immobilized response where we are dissociated and we feel like, well, like in a goldfish bowl and the world's happening around us and we just want to curl up in bed. So a, a lot of us are feeling like that and we can shift between those two states. But I realized relatively recently, a couple of years ago, I realized when I started doing some really deep work with a, with a somatic healer that actually I'd been living in this fight or flight state for years and years and years. And so when I actually calmed down, it felt a little bit off because it wasn't familiar. So being hyper for me was my familiar state, but it puts such a strain on our body. So yeah. what I'd like to share with your listeners, yeah, you, you agree with, with me, you yeah, know what, I, I mean, what I've talked about. <laughs> mine was the latter, you know, um, not fight or flight, but the freeze response, you know, where I did feel as though yeah. I was disassociating from what was happening. Um, and certainly I've, I only recently in the last uh, decade or so realized that I was living in that continuous state of my body being in high alert, you know, yes. because there yes. was, a um, for me internally, always a perceived threat, even though there wasn't. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know what? It's even more than a perceived threat, because what happens is we used to think that our mind got the, our brain got information and sent it down to our body to tell us that we were in danger and to react in a certain way. It doesn't work like that. There's this amazing um, man, Dr. Stephen Porges, who, who discovered something called polyvagal theory, big words, but really useful to know about. And what happens is he discovered that actually 80% of the information goes up to our brains from our bodies. And we get that information sent up to our brains through something called the vagus nerve. And that is a very, very long wandering nerve that goes through the body and it, it tangles around your internal organs. So a really, really effective way of switching off that fight or flight that we're all so familiar with, that frenetic feeling is 
by activating your parasympathetic nervous system through activation of the vagus nerve. And that's all massively big words, I know, but I'm going to show you how to do it. It's very simple. So if we've got um, we've got uh, three or four minutes that we could just do this, Lynn, to yes. do this thing. Yes, absolutely. So, great, great, great. Lovely. So what I'd invite you to do is just get yourself comfortable in your seat. If you do this with me, Lynn. So get yourself comfortable in your seat. Take just a couple of deep breaths. And if it's comfortable for you to close your eyes, close your eyes. But if that makes you feel a little bit anxious, just look down at the tip of your nose. Now I'm going to invite you to breathe in, in this pattern. You're going to breathe in for four. You're going to hold at the top for two and you're going to breathe out for six. Now let's get that in sync. So breathe in for four. Hold and out for a long breath of six. Three, four, five, six, and again, breathe in. To four, hold at the top and breathe out for six. Now continue to breathe in this way. And what people find helpful is often to place one hand on your belly, one hand on your chest, and feel your belly pushing out as you breathe in and feel it falling back as you breathe out, because most of us breathe into our shoulders, not into our bellies. And breathing is such a fantastic tool that we have to get us out of this sympathetic nervous reaction. So breathing like that, breathing in for four, holding for two, and breathing out for six is a it's a super switch. How, how it works is that when you breathe into your diaphragm, your as your belly rises, it's rising because your diaphragm, this, this uh, big muscle that lays underneath your lungs, pushes down, it squishes your internal organs, that activates the vagus nerve, and it's like turning a button on that says, oh, hang on, she's taking a deep breath. She can't be being chased by a tiger or about to die. We can calm everything down which is we're not activating that, that nervous response and getting loads of cortisol in the system. It sends that message up to the brain and it says, oh, she's safe. Turn off the cortisol. We're all right. And that's why that one works. So it sounds really, really too simple to be effective, but it's not. That's why you're always told, take some deep breaths, but they're not just deep breaths. It's a longer exhale than your inhale that calms your sympathetic nervous system by activating that vagus nerve. It's a really simple little technique. And I would 100% agree and support uh, anybody taking that exercise because it sounds like you said too simple to 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 think that breathing can help, but um, it really, really does. And it does massively positively change your internal and external state. Um, so, so please don't ignore this particular exercise or think, oh, you know, breathing's not going to do any good because it, until you try it and actually yeah. put it into practice, you, you don't realize how powerful just that simple exercise can be. Yeah, absolutely. And the ladies who work with me are constantly surprised. They're like, I didn't think just breathing could do so much good, but it really does. It really does. Because breathing something that is in our subconscious, we're not we're not thinking about what we're doing when we're breathing. So we've got into a habit of breathing shallowly, just up into the top of our lungs and never activating that vagus nerve, never sending the cues of safety in, 
and never sending that. So our body never sends that message up to our brain. So we never feel safe. And as well, we are, as humans, we are, we are hardwired to respond more to cues of danger than we are to cues of safety. So it takes hundreds of cues of safety to equal one little cue of danger. And that all goes on in your subconscious beneath your level of awareness. You're not thinking this. Your body is actually receiving those signals from what you're taking in with your eyes, hearing, what you're, what you're sensing through your senses. And it's got nothing to do with thinking about it. So when people say to you, well, just come on, get on with it. Cheer yourself up. Calm down. You can't. You can't. And people saying that is super unhelpful, super, super, super unhelpful, because this is not a thing that you can think yourself out of. You need your body to do the things that need to be done to calm you down so that then you can think straight. It's the other way around to what we've been taught to believe. Wonderful. And that's a great explanation. So I'm hoping that all any listeners that feel they need to adopt that breathing exercise as an exercise to put them in a state of being and feeling safe that they're going to now implement it knowing that it's going to do exactly what we've just described so thank you yeah, for sharing yeah. that Sarah yeah my pleasure yeah yeah what what was the situation in your household do you think your mother or did you know your mother was aware of what was going on yeah everybody asks me this and I think mum had a suspicion of what was going on. However, she didn't know what to do about it. And she was scared to do anything about it because in later years when we have talked, uh, she admitted that she loved my stepfather so much. She was willing to sacrifice me to keep him. Oh, ouch. Yeah. So yeah. have you had to sort of do work around um, forgiving her for that or letting go of any... Um, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, ill feeling, I yeah. suppose, or, or uh, blame attached to, to her confession. Oh, yes. That. Well, that was, that was really... Um, that was in... What happened was my mum passed four years ago and by the time she died, we had uh, utter peace between us and all there was was love. But that was a journey. And what I would say to anybody hearing that who's going, well, I can't bloody forgive my mum for what she did. you know, uh, And uh, that's absolutely fine. What I found is as I healed, forgiveness was a byproduct of healing. I didn't go out to forgive anybody. I went out to heal me. And then by healing me and finding that love for myself, I was then able to access the resources to be able to forgive her. But I couldn't have done that until very recently so it was only six years before she died that I felt that I was strong enough to be able to have that conversation with her and I knew my mum was tortured about what she'd allowed to happen because as she got older she went on her own spiritual journey and she she did all sorts of work with women who'd been sexually abused which for me at the time really hurt because she wasn't there for me but she was there for all these other girls but she she obviously felt very guilty for not doing, not saving me, not saving my brothers, because my brothers, to my knowledge, weren't sexually abused, but they were terribly physically abused. We all were. He, he was a horrible man. And so I know that she was a tortured soul because of it. And she could not, I think what killed her, to be honest, Lynn, was she could not forgive herself 
for what mm. she'd done. And she couldn't speak her truth because to her, it was too awful to speak. So in the end, I just felt utter compassion for my mum because she, I, I remember sitting to her and, and, and like saying to her, mum, I am forgiving you for all of it. Please forgive yourself. I just want us to have this mother-daughter relationship that he prevented us from having for all these years. I, I want us to have it. I want you as my mum. I, I just want that. And she said, but you don't understand it. You can't forgive me. And, I, and that's when I said to her mum, I am forgiving you for sacrificing me so that he would stay with you. And that's what I'm forgiving. And you've got to forgive yourself for that too. And she's like, I can't, I can't, I can't. And she oh. never could. Now that's a shame that she, she sort of died not being able to do that for herself. And, you know, forgiveness for yeah. the perpetrators isn't condoning their behaviour. I mean, you can, as part of forgiveness, you know, go on the journey. I mean, I've forgiven my perpetrators because, um, you know, it releases me. It does. It stops them yes. having power over negatively impacting my life. That, that's the way I look at it. Yes, I agree. When you are still, when you're in that role of victim, and I'm not saying there's anything, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not using that in a negative way. When you are somebody's victim, you are intrinsically attached to them. They have power over you when you are a victim. When you are able to get that healing, when you're able to heal enough, when you get the help that you need to be able to start to see things differently and find your own inner power and see how you can detach from that identity and become the identity of a thriving survivor, everything changes. And part of that may well be that you make the decision that in order to release all bonds from that person that did such a heinous thing to you, you decide to forgive them for your sake. And you do not have to condone their behaviour to forgive them, but it sets you free. There's a beautiful book, Lynn. I don't know if you've come across it. It's a book called The Little Soul and the Sun. And it's yes. by the wonderful Neil Donald Walsh. Yeah. If anybody, yes, if anybody is interested in the uh, forgiveness, then it's a beautiful children's story. Get the hard copy. Don't just listen to it. Get the hard copy. It is beautiful. And it's such a, that for me, I think that story, that book gave me a framework upon which to hang what had happened to me and mm. suddenly helped me get a reason for it all. And it explains it in such simple language as well. It's so easy to understand yeah. and um, very powerful message within that. I can't give too much away, but yeah, I'd highly support yeah. recommending getting that book. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So finally, Sarah, any final words of wisdom before we bring the episode to a close? That whatever the trauma you have experienced as a child in your life, be it physical, emotional, sexual, psychological trauma, you can heal. And all it takes is a decision to find the help that you need because the abuse happened in isolation, the trauma happened to you in secret. So by finding just one person, be it just a good friend, be it a, a therapist, be it um, a support group, by speaking out, by taking baby steps and talking about what happened to you, not what's wrong with you, what happened to you will suddenly help you to, to break the, uh, the chains of that secrecy and shame by just speaking to one person and by beginning to feel that I do not have to live with this for the rest of my life, whatever age I am. 
my trauma matters and my healing matters and I am worth it. And I, I'm not going to spend another minute of my life being affected by the horrible things that were done to me as a child, done to me as a young adult. I am, I am taking responsibility for me now and I'm going to heal. Start, take a baby step, find someone to talk to. Uh, thank you so much, Sarah, and uh, really appreciate again you being able and having the courage and the vulnerability to share your story and your words of wisdom and some practical, helpful tips. For anybody out there that uh, would like to get in touch with you, what would be your best contact information? Yeah, my best contact information is you can get uh, get to me by email because sometimes it's easier to write about these things than it is to speak. So if you wanted to just pop me an email to sarah at livinglimitlessly.co.uk. That's my email and it would be lovely to hear from anybody, even if they just want to say, yeah, me too. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and uh, of course, we'll also put any of other contact information relating to Sarah in our description and show notes as per usual so it just leaves me to say thank you so much again Sarah for being a great guest on the show Mm, thank you so much for having me and opportunity to talk about my passion thank you so much Lynn it's been wonderful much love Uh, so I'll just sign off as I always do with true love starts with opening our hearts and until next time goodbye for now Thanks for listening to the Hearts Entwined podcast. You can follow Lynn via the Facebook group Two Hearts Entwined or search Lynn Smith, inspirational speaker at LinkedIn or email lynn at hearts-entwined.com. That's L-Y-N at hearts-entwined.com. Remember, true love starts with opening our hearts.